situation in light of notions of form and information. We're starting from page 285 of the translation. So we're on the first chapter of the psychical individuation, and then we're on subsection six, the affective problematic affection and emotion. So we, we missed last week because I was sick, but the week before we saw the sections on the, the trans individual. So he introduced this concept of the trans individual. Well, actually he's introduced it before, but um, he develops it a little bit more here. And he talks about how he brings up this concept of spirituality. There's these two sides of spirituality. So there's the, the side that corresponds to eternity or immortality. After our deaths, we live on through others and the individual sort of persists as an absence in other people's lives. And then the other side is the, the side uh, of spirituality that is a, a sort of momentary gesture or something that appears and then disappears and that doesn't have that, that quality of eternity. Uh, so these two sides of spirituality are, are equally valuable or equally important. Uh, and so Simondon argues that sort of traditional humanism has focused on the first one on the side of the eternity. And it talks about these um, eternal works of culture, whereas in order to overcome to get past this, this kind of spirituality of uh, or, or this humanistic approach to spirituality, you have to uh, have a, an equal emphasis on on both sides or an equal recognition of both sides. When when you have just one side emphasized over the other or or taken as a, a sort of independent reality, you end up with science or faith as these two sort of opposed cultural domains or two aspects of human reality. So uh, science would correspond to action without uh, without emotion and then faith would correspond to emotion without without action that that spirituality that that grasps both sides both the the eternal and the momentary is something that is prior to the opposition between science and faith uh, and then we saw uh, the section on anxiety uh, and here Simondon Simondon argues that anxiety is sort of the, um, what happens when uh, an individual or a subject, I should say, is sort of deprived of their insertion into the collective. The, the individual subject, by virtue of not, not having that insertion into the collective or that incorporation into the collective, the emotional orientation of their life is restricted in this in this way so they're they're not capable of solving the problems that affectivity poses uh, and so they end up in this state of anxiety and um anxiety is a sort of dead end in in most cases though simondon allows for the possibility of uh, a transformation through anxiety but he says that in general we don't have this transformational quality so it ends up it ends up being a, a dead end uh, and there was a question from from angus in the chat about so does spirituality have to have both aspects the, all spirituality um don't have to have both aspects i think i think simon don would say yes that there are both aspects but it's a question of sort of degree of of one or the other like he his example of the the gesture of the of the slave who's running away from uh from their master um is something that is not sort of preserved in the culture it, it's not something that has that sort of value of eternity in the same way that a famous poem or a monument or whatever does but at the same time you can 
yeah, it, it, it has a sort of afterlife in the way in a way that uh, you can see that, for example, the Spartus, Spartacus rebellion in ancient Rome served as a, a symbol or a inspiration for future liberation movements. Um, you know, you have the the Spartacus Bund in in early twentieth century Germany, and uh, in the Haitian Revolution, there there was also some uh, reference back to um, Spartacus. The, this gesture that sort of disappears as soon as it's produced can be repeated it can be uh, an inspiration for future gestures and can can have that spiritual value of eternity in that sense okay so let's get started on the text for today so we're at uh, subsection six i'll read the first page or so and then we'll go around as usual okay subsection six the affective problematic affection and emotion affectivity has a problematic status because it does not merely consist in pleasure and pain Pleasure and pain are perhaps the dimensions according to which the initial polarity of affectivity operates on the world and on the subject, but affectivity can no more be reduced to pleasure and pain than sensation can be reduced to lines and angles. There are sensations in a world that is oriented and polarized according to lines and angles, just as affectivity consists in affective qualities that are oriented according to pleasure and pain. However, we can no more extract affective qualities from pleasure and pain than we can produce sensations from the dimensions according to which they are organized. The dimensions of sensations are the field of movement that are in harmony with them, just as pleasure and pain are the field of insertion of affective qualities into the living being. Pleasure and pain are the taking root of actual experience in the existence of the living being, in the structures and potentials that constitute it or that it possesses. Pleasure and pain are not just the reverberation of what the being has experienced. They are not just effects, they are also active mediations that have a functional sense. Even by considering affectivity as a reaction, it can be asserted that the sense of this reverberation is the, the dimension according to which the affective state polarizes the living being. For each affective experience, pleasure and pain are the sense of affectivity. Affections have a sense, just as sensations have a sense. Sensation is organized according to the bipolarity of light and darkness, up and down, interior and exterior, right and left, warm and cold. Affection is organized according to the bipolarity of joyful and sad, happy and unhappy, exhilarating and depressing, bitterness or, Ill or bliss, the degrading and the ennobling. Pleasure and pain are already secondary aspects elaborated from affection. They are dimensions relative to the whole being, whereas the primary affective qualities may not be strictly com compatible among one another without mutual integration according to pleasure and pain. But to put this relation into the vocabulary of critique, pleasure and pain are the a priori forms of affectivity rather than the affective given. Each affection is polarized simply according to a directivity internal to a qualitative dyad. Multiple qualitative dyads are initially uncoordinated. They each constitute a relation between the subject and the initial experienced. A coordination between the different experiences makes possible an integration into the subject that proceeds according to frameworks, or rather dimensions, constituting a veritable affective universe. Okay, let's stop here for now. Um, so the 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 concept here that uh, Do is um sort of gradually introducing is, is one that we've seen a few times before uh and it's this idea um idea of tropism uh uh in in relation to sensation um and so if you remember uh a tropism is um is 
an orientation of a living being towards some sort of gradient in its environment. Um, and so we can think of the example of sunflowers that orient themselves towards sunlight. Um, and um, there's many other examples in, in the, the world of, of living organisms. You have bacteria that swim upstream towards um, higher concentrations of sugar or whatever, um, any sort of uh, differential uh, polarization of the environment in terms of more and less of something uh, an organism can orient itself towards. Uh, and, and so for Simon Don, um, what he's um, suggesting here and, and we're building up towards here is the idea that uh, um, uh, affectivity has the same type of structure as, uh, as um, sensation. It has this polarization structure um, so that um, in the same way that, that sensation has to do with uh, this orientation towards uh, uh, light and darkness or, or warm and cold or, or other um, pairs of, of uh, polar opposites, uh, in the same way affectivity has, um, has this uh, orientation towards um, um, uh, these pairs of polar opposites. Um, so, uh, he gives examples here, joyful and sad, happy and unhappy, exhilarating and depressing, bitterness or bliss, the degrading and the ennobling. Um, so any um, affective state is is going to be um, is going to take its its place in the affective life of the individual um, by by relation to this uh, polarization. And so this is what, what he means by saying that pleasure and pain are the a priori forms of affectivity. So there's, um, this is, uh, so affectivity has this um, um, general sense of, of uh, polarization in terms of a positive and a negative term. Um, so, so rather than saying that um, affectivity, uh, that, that pleasure and pain are the contents of affectivity, um, we instead say that they constitute the form of affectivity. So affectivity uh, uh, exists in in relation to some sort of polarization in into positive and negative terms. Uh, and so each each of these um, uh, affective states has this um, um, directionality built into it. So it, it's related to this um, qualitative dyad. So some pair of polar opposites. Um, and the sort of initial state or the more more basic state is one in which um, each qualitative dyad would be um, sort of uh, independent of the others. So there's no coordination between the other between all the different qualitative dyads. Um, and it's only it's only um, afterwards that you have, integration of these different qualitative dyads into um, what Simon Don here calls a, an affective universe. So it's a, a, a space, an affective space made up of multiple dimensions. Um, so each of these polarizations constitutes a dimension and an affective state would, would uh, occupy um, a portion of that affective universe. Uh, and we'll see in the, in the next bit that um, 
this unification of affective universes has to do with action as well. Um, so there, there's a, um, it's not, it's not something that is self-contained in, uh, in the affective um, domain or, or sphere. Non-manifest, can we um, talk about, maybe get some clarification on some uh, certain concepts that Simon Doan utilizes, like um, terms such as uh, dimension, because I think there's like certain scientific terms or even mathematical terms that he uh, disposes himself to using, um, and I wonder if it helps to clarify that so that um, we're all kind of, uh, yeah, in terms of refining the in interpretation and um, being able to have a collective analysis if, if we can sort of clarify certain terms. Like, for example, dyad. Um, I'm wondering whether dyad is um, similar to... My reading of it was that it kind of has an edge or is tethered or, or similarity to his discussion of sense as sense uh, as a precursor to sensation or is or being bound to sensation because later he does use the word sense at times and that can be confusing because uh are we talking about semantic sense or are we talking about affectual sense as it relates to sensation so i guess my question is later uh, not uh, you know he, we're gonna see that he starts referring to gradients in another kind of subtext. So, so I feel like some of these terms are bringing forth an underlying subtext, often that is mathematical or engineering-based. Um, so, for example, dyad, I'm wondering whether, in this case, he uses the word dyad to refer to um, almost like a uh, something similar to is it mechanical like a sensor? Because later I'm going to find that when he talks about gradients and sensation, I can understand the concepts that he's referring to better when I think of it as um, that, that, that there's like this sensor. So I'm wondering whether this dyad is similar to almost like um, a construct or an object relating to sensation akin to a sensor. Right. Um, yeah, so some of these, a couple of the terms that you mentioned were, were uh, the dyad and uh, dimensions. Um, so from for the first one, for dyad, um, I think what he has in mind here is um, Plato's use of the term dyad. Uh, Plato talks about the indefinite dyad um, um, in relation to um, um uh to uh participation in in various ideas uh so that um there is a like the indefinite dyad is the greater and the lesser or um a pair of 
uh, opposed concepts in, in that sense. Um, and so here, when, when Simon Don talks about the dyad, um, um, the, the qualitative dyad, uh, it has to do with the way that um, sensations are always uh, relative to some sort of more and less uh, in, in some uh, qualitative sense. Um, so sensations are always, uh, uh, like visual sensations are always uh, in relation to light and darkness. Um, and then um, in, in the case of, um, in the case of uh, temperature, it's always in relation to heat, heat and, and cold or, or warmth and, and cold. Um, okay, and so, so yeah, so he's probably going to, that's what he does later on. I think he, he kind of uh, um, extrapolates or fleshes out the dyad um, in, in the coming paragraphs, I think. When he he does talk, like you pointed out, does talk about like temperature and then the great the discussion of the gradients. I think he he tries to um, uh, well he he gets really really descriptive on uh, on on these topics of sensation. So I guess at that point um, I can contextualize that as as him elaborating on the dyadic um, sort of way of understanding it. I, I hesitate to use the word dimension, though. You know, and, and sometimes I have to substitute various spaces to try to interpret it currently because there's this underlying kind of mathematics that is brought into account, like integration uses differentiation a little bit. Sometimes I feel like he, it's weird because, uh, yeah, I, I found at least in one instance where the integration felt like it was more of a, of a differentiation. Um, but it reminds me of the notion of the integral and a calculus. And so again, we get into this, it seems like he is applying a kind of, uh, um, a philosophical method that's similar to a calculus at times. Yeah. With, uh, with relation to the concept of dimension, uh, I think we can think of, um, the, the scientific concept of a state space. So. Um, if you have uh, some sort of experimental setup where you're you're varying, say, the concentration of some chemical in a in a solution, uh, and then you're also varying temperature, you would you can um, you can sort of model the the set of possible states of the system as a, a space of two dimensions. Um, so you, you would have one dimension of, of the, the concentration of the chemical and another dimension of the temperature. Um, and then if you have more different um, variables that you're uh, modifying, you would have more and more dimensions. So you could have a, a I don't know, a, a dimension of pressure, a dimension of, I don't know, magnetic field or whatever. You can add more and more different um, dimensions to your state space and and so we can think of it the same type of um idea here with with the affective space so that um uh each each of these polarizations each in each pair of uh opposed um concepts or opposed affective states 
Um, so whether it's joy and joy and sadness or happiness and unhappiness, um, uh, all these different um, affective states that, that come in these pairs of uh, opposed terms, each of those polarizations would constitute um, a, a dimension. And then any given affective state would, would find, a, find its place within uh, that whole multidimensional state space. Okay, well, here's where we get into a little bit of terminological um, inconsistency because, like, the, the dyads that are mentioned there, um, what you're referring to as the effective states, I mean, all the, uh, all the granularity and the specificity that Simon Don goes into, it seems to me that those terms, once, we, once the individual can get into a, um, a uh, place where he, can act, where he or she can recognize a term for the effective state, wouldn't, couldn't we say that at that point they have reached a recognition of an emotion? I find that what I'm trying to say is like the joy, sadness, and the other um, relations uh, their endpoints are emotions as opposed to affectivity. It seems my reading of it was that uh, affectivity is more, a, it's kind of within the dimension of particularities that are not well-defined, that are moving around, um, trying to find organization in an interiority uh, almost like particles or aggregates, not well defined. Um, that 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 seems to be where the place of various affectivity. So, yeah, I, I guess um, I'm still struggling with the distinctions between. Um, the aggregation of affects into emotions in the interiority of the individual and um you know the this summation of seeing how it all kind of gets pulled together into um the individual capable of the trans individuation um but that's towards the end you know i think things kind of get um, structured and, and pulled together in, in terms of perception and emotion. So I don't want to take up too much more time. Yeah, Angus has suggested that we continue. Uh, and I think that's a good idea because there's some, some of these concepts um, are developed more as we go along and, and um, we can sort of make more sense of, of what Simon Dong is doing as we see him uh, Put the concepts to work. Um, so yeah, let's let's go on to the next page. Uh, if someone else would like to read from, um, however, affective universes. I can read. However, affective universes, or rather, nascent affective universes, lead only to distinct subsets that do not coordinate together. As long as action or the analog of action in its aspect of interiority does not intervene. The coordination of the initial effective dimensions cannot be fully accomplished in the subject without the intervention of the collective. 
since the collective is necessary for emotion to be actualized. In affectivity, there is a continual pre-emotivity, but emotion cannot emerge from affections by means of activity can only lead to an inferior synthesis that would be impoverishing and reductive. Affections, no more than sensations, do not contain their own key within themselves. And plus et, I think, or a new individuation be coordinated of the subject. Sensations do not only give rise to perception, but also something of the subject, something of the being of the subject. Similarly, the condition of the initial integration relative to pleasure and pain or the different affective categories are not affections alone, but something of the subject. Sensation and affection correspond to two types of the beings calling into question by the world. Sensations correspond to the beings calling into question as an individuated being with sense organs and a being which therefore can be oriented according to various polarities in a world. That which corresponds to unidimensional and bidirectional tropism. Sensation is this presence to the world of gradients and its correlate is the response to tropism, not reflex. For tropism is total and corresponds to a calling into question of the entire individuated individual. But tropism does not correspond to a calling into question by the singular world. There are several worlds of tropisms, contradictory or divergent worlds that incite tropisms without a common vanishing point. Perception seeks the sensor direction of tropisms, i.e. the sensor direction of responses coordinated with sensations. Sensation is the basis of tropism. It is a calling into question of the living being by the world according to a presupposed unidimensional schema. Um, this unidimensional structure of the response is already prefigured in the nature of the calling into question and the structure of sensation. The problematic that exists on the level of sensation is a problematic of orientation according to an axis that is already given. The structure of the sensorial world, and consequently also of the tropism that corresponds to it, is the indefinite dyad of cold and hot, heavy and light, dark and bright. Sensation is the expectation of tropism, an information signal for tropism. It is what orients the living being vis-a-vis -vis the world. Sensation does not contain the object since it does not localize, does not attribute to a definite being, the power of being the source of the effects experienced in sensation. There is a manner in which the being is called into question by the world that is anterior to any consistency of the object. Objectivity is not first, nor is subjectivity or syncretism. What is first is orientation, and what contains the sensation-tropism couple is the totality of orientation. Sensation is the grasping of a direction, not of an object. It is differential, which implies the recognition of the sense or direction according to which a dyad manifests. Thermal, tonal, or chromatic qualities are differential qualities anchored around a center that corresponds to an average state, to a maximum of differential sensibility.
Should I stop there? Keep reading. Um, yeah, let's stop there for now. Um, yeah, so uh, here's more um, explanation of this uh, idea of tropism. Um, and uh, an analogy, I guess, between uh, tropism in sensation and the directionality of affectivity. Um, so in the same way that um, sensation has to do with insertion into this more or less or you know, the dark or, or the light or, or so on, um, likewise, uh, affectivity is, is inserted into, the, into these um, uh, gradations um and and so um because of this we have uh um the impossibility of uh solving the problems of of either sensation or of affectivity within within the the um the domains uh taken as as independent domains uh, so it's only it's only insofar as the uh, as the subject is um, part of a collective that they're able to uh, to bring about this integration of the the uh, sensations into um, a perception of an object uh, and then uh, likewise that they're able to integrate the multiple uh, affective states into an emotion. Um, so there's, uh, as we've seen throughout this part, there's the, a, a sort of continuity between the, the individuation of a, a, an individual subject, um, psychic individuation, and then the individuation of the collective uh, and uh, the formation of a, a trans individual um so the there's no there's no separation between these two um forms of individuation there, there's a, a continuity and uh the problems of psychic individuation can't be solved purely at the level of uh of psychic individuation outside of the collective um yeah so angus has has posted um the uh the progression or ordering of these different um, psychic states or, or um, uh, conditions. Um, hmm. I'm not sure if we should distinguish between the tropistic subsets and the sensation. Um, I'm not sure if we need to distinguish those as two separate stages or, or um, whether we should um, I think he would want to say that sensation is is um, is always tropistic. Um, so what what would what would be initial would be the um, uh, the initial stage would be um, the uncoordinated sensations. So um, sensations without the formation of a, a a sensory world or anything along those lines. Uh, and then the next stage would be uh, sensation with integration of the different sensory uh, qualitative dyads into um, uh, a sensory space. 
Uh, and then the next stage after that would be perception and then action. Uh, okay, so let's let's go on to the next page or so because this is um, again it's a sort of one of one of these um, um, long paragraphs that um, is a sort of continuous development. Uh, so it's it's um, I mean we we need to stop at different points to discuss, but it it's uh, sort of artificial to uh, to stop and break up these paragraphs. Um, but yeah, let's go on to the next page. If someone else would like to read from uh, for each type of reality, I can read. Uh... One second here. Um, okay. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. For each type of reality, there is a center relative to which the relation is deployed. There is not just the highest pitched and the lowest pitched, the hottest and the coldest. There is a higher pitched and lower pitched than the human voice hotter and colder than the epidermis, lighter and darker than the optimal lighting needed by the human eye, more yellow and greener than the yellow-green of the maximum sensitivity of human chromatic sensation. The real medium of each species is in each dyad, and the polarity of the world of tropism is grasped with respect to this medium. The constant error that has distorted the relational theory of sensation consisted in thinking that relation was the grasping of two terms. In fact, the polarity of tropism implies the simultaneous grasping of three terms, the medium of the living being, the living being between the hottest and the coldest, the brightest and the darkest. The living being seeks in the gradient the optimal zone, the living being evaluates the two directions of the dyad relative to the center in which it resides and which it occupies. The first usage of sensation is more transductive than relational. Sensation allows to grasp how the medium extends into the colder of one side and, the, and into the hotter on the other. The medium of temperature is what extends and splits directionally into hotter and colder. The dyad is grasped starting from its center. It is not synthesis, but transduction. Hotter and colder are deployed symmetrically relative to the center. In the same way, green and yellow occur symmetrically with respect to the medium of color. And the qualities of the dyad proceed in both directions and toward the extreme terms beyond which there is merely pain or the absence of sensation. Sensation relates to the state of the living being grounded in an optimal region of each qualitative dyad, coinciding with the gradient of the world. It is the grasping of the middle milieu of a bipolarity. Medium and bipolarity are part of the same unity of being which is that of sensation and tropism, that of sensation for the orientation of tropism. Sensation is already tropism, for it grasps the structure according to which tropism is actualized. 
For there to be tropism, it is not required, required that a disadaption produce the necessity of a movement. There is tropism in immobility as well as in readjustment. Should I keep going? Uh, yeah, you can finish this uh, paragraph. Ah, okay. Sensation is tropistic in itself. It makes the living being coincide with the medium of a gradient and indicates the sense or direction of this gradient to the living being. In sensation, there is no intention to grasp an object in itself for it to be known, nor the rapport between an object and the living being. Sensation is that through which the living being adjusts its insertion into a transductive domain, into a domain that includes a transductive reality, the polarity of a gradient. Sensation is part of an ensemble that in a certain sense splits into pure sensation and pure reaction, but that normally includes tropistic unity, i.e. sensation which is tropism actualized. A psychology of behaviors leads to ignoring the role of sensation because this type of psychology only considers, separate, only considers separate reactions as reflexes. Reflex is an abstract element of reaction grasped in the tropistic unity, just as sensation is an abstract relation, relational element grasped in the same tropistic unity from which the active side has been removed. Right, so here we have um, the introduction of this third term in, uh, in the relation of, uh, of a tropism. So we have not just the, the light and the dark or the hot and the cold, but we have this medium um, which, which corresponds to some sort of optimality for the living being that, that occupies that medium state. So um, it, we have light and dark in relation to the optimal uh, illumination for a human uh, visual perception. Um, and then we have um, hot and cold relative to human skin. Uh, and so this, um, uh, and so Angus had mentioned uh, affordances in the chat here. Um, and, and there's been, I think, a, a fair amount of, um, of research on um, sensory perception in human beings uh, that shows that human sense perception is not generally oriented towards um, objective physical qualities like uh, temperature, for example. Um, so you, you don't actually, uh, when you feel something to, to be hot or cold, you're not actually feeling the temperature um, because, uh, for example, if you if you touch a metal surface at say twenty degrees Celsius, um, or a wood surface at 20, 20 degrees Celsius, the metal surface will feel colder, um, and and so what you're feeling is actually um, the the transfer of heat um, across the surface of the skin. So either losing heat or 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 uh, absorbing heat. Um, and, and so um, in the case of the metal, because it's a conductor, it, it um, uh, allows you, your, your uh, body to transfer heat across the surface of your skin to the metal, whereas the wood uh, is an insulator and doesn't, um, doesn't allow as much transfer of heat. Uh, and so 
this is just an example of the way that uh, human uh, human sensation has to do with um, um, relations to um, to this medium term, uh, so that you you uh, your sensations are um, oriented around this medium term and uh, are related to the medium term as more and less. Um, and then, uh, so he, he characterizes the um, this domain uh, or this dimension of, of sensation as a transductive reality. Uh, and so this, again, is a term, one of, one of Simondon's key terms that has these multiple different meanings. Um, but here, what he's talking about is the way that the, the domain of sensation is structured um, as a, a sort of progressive structuration uh, from the center. Um, so rather than having uh, sensation being built up of like atoms of sensation, which was the um, the, the sort of default assumption of, of a lot of 19th century psychology that you would have like a sensation of red and a sensation of C sharp and, and like all these sort of isolated sensations. And then they would be joined together through association um, to form, you know, perception of objects and so on. Um, so rather than, than having these atomic sensations, um, we instead have this uh, structuration of the, the domain of sensations um, from the middle outwards. And so this is what, what it, he means by calling this a, a, a transductive reality. Um, and then he he also criticizes um, what he calls here the psychology of behaviors uh, or um, a behavioristic approach to psychology, which is one that um, that takes the tropism as a unity and breaks it up and and only looks at one side. So it only looks at the side of the um, reactions or the uh, the uh, behaviors that um, the the experimental subject um, uh, demonstrates in the in the laboratory. Um, um, oh yeah, sorry, I missed a couple of questions here from Angus. So yeah, milieu means both middle and environment. Yes, that's right. Um, so in this passage, um, Simondo actually uses the term medium uh, uh, or medium, uh, the Latin term, uh, most of the time. But he does use milieu at one point. Um, um, so milieu can mean like the middle of a series, like uh, you know, or the middle of a, uh, uh, I don't know, the middle of a room or whatever. Um, but it can also mean the the environment or the surroundings in which something exists. Um, so I think I think Simon don't wants. I think well I think that's why he used the term uh, medium here, um, the Latin term instead of the the French one. Um, to uh, to sort of try to differentiate between the two, um, so th this is when he talks about the the medium in this passage. It, it's um, uh, the the medium medium with respect to this transductive reality um, or this uh, gradation of of sensations in terms of more and less. Uh, and then the the next question was about. Um, the relationship between this transductive reality and analogy. Um, 
So we understand a sensation analogically uh, with respect to the medium. Um, I think, yeah, so um, transductive, uh, transductive thinking is, is uh, Simdon characterizes it as um, what is valid about, about analogical thinking. Uh, so um, uh, analogy is sort of the, the way in which we um, grasp a transductive reality. Uh, and, and so here, um, yeah, we would, we would grasp um, sensation, uh, sensation as this transductive reality we grasp it analogically in the sense that we um, we grasp it through its uh, its relations. Uh, so analogy is always um, uh, uh, is always a thought that has to do with uh, relations. So you you compare you know A is related to B in the same way that uh, C is related to D or something like that, um, and. Uh, um, so in this case, we're we're grasping sensation in terms of the relation between uh, whatever sensory state we're we're dealing with and the the middle term or the the middle of the um, sensory series, uh, uh, and so we always grasp it uh, in this analogical uh, way. So based on based on biological term transduction, what the uh, wanted to emphasize here was like uh, the process of uh, um, sensory adaptation, like um, kind of like a recepting, receptor of the external stimuli uh, and then and then recepting and then and then uh, receiving it and then turning into like its or her own, like its own kind of uh, version of uh, how to say like um kind of like impulses in inside like what i mean is like here the important thing is in terms of tropism like the direction as far as I understand tropism has to do the direction of uh the, the the adaptation so um the here the emphasis like uh the process like uh the adaptation sensor adaptation could be all different because um the process, I mean, turns out constructive uh, reality all different, things like that. And then that that we can't we can't really um. I mean, define it as a kind of like a amalgamation or synthesis of the whole kind of sense sensory I mean stimuli, but the uh, kind of like a different version can coexist at the same time. So the. Uh, um, that that's kind of like a, the meaning of uh, here trans transductive reality transductive transduction here. Um, yeah, so you're right that in in biology we talk about transduction uh, in the sense of um, uh, sort of translating from one medium to another. So that um, like when you have light strikes the retina. Uh, in in the eye of a of a, a mammal, for example, um, then uh, that light energy is uh, 
transduced. So it, it's turned into a different form of energy um, in terms of uh, it, it becomes um, nerve impulses. Uh, and, and so it, it's, it's transmitted to the brain in the form of nerve impulses rather than in the form of uh, light energy. Um, and so, yeah, in, in, in biology, the term transduction is used to, to um, refer to this uh, transformation from one form of energy to a, another form uh, that occurs at, at, the, um, at the sense uh, organs. Um, but I think here, Simon Don was using the term in uh in a different sense um i think the way that he understands it here um has to do with um uh and again this is so it's sort of difficult because he um he he introduces the meaning of transduction with reference to the example uh of the of the crystallization um so it it's a it's a form of analogical thinking, but we we only grasp it by way of analogy. Um, so, um, the crystallization example is whenever whenever you see the word transduction in Simon Don, you can always think of the crystallization example. So, in the case of the crystallization, we had um, this unstructured um, solution, uh, and then it. Um, it progressively crystallizes around a, a germ. Uh, so each, each layer of crystallization is uh, uh, structured by the preceding layer. Uh, and so this idea of like a gradual structuration of a domain um, is, is what he wants to um, draw out or, or take from the crystallization example and apply to other areas. So in the same way that um, the, the solution becomes crystallized in, in the crystal example, likewise in sensation, we have this domain um, that, that becomes structured uh, from, starting from the middle. Um, so starting from the medium term uh, and then progressing outwards from there uh, so, so that's the sense. Uh, that's that's what he means by calling sensation or um, the the sensory um, dimension uh, uh, a transductive reality. Yeah, regarding sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Just really quickly. Uh, so, um, can we conclude then, though, th that uh, this medium is a is a kind of range, right? Like uh, this medium from which sensation moves its way out into the um, uh, the ends of the polarity, particularly in the context of sensation, um, it's a range, right? Kind of like even a sort of statistical mean or statistical medium, and and the, and it could vary a little bit from individual to individual, but that it's this kind of range. Because you just uh, said that we start with the medium and we move our way out to the extreme. So I'm thinking of like the like a bell curve kind of um, would be an, a, an attempt at representing um, the, uh, the this type of um, uh, 
transductive concept? Yeah, I think um, I think in relation to a, an individual person uh, or an individual living being, um, Simon Don would want to regard this medium as being a point in the spectrum uh, rather than a, a range. Um, um, so there's there's a a single like in the case of uh, light and dark, there's a a certain optimal um, um, illumination that is uh, like the best, like, and this would be relative relative to an individual person. But um, a certain degree of illumination is um, the exact um, degree of illumination that gives the best uh, visual acuity. So it's not too bright or too dark, and and you have the best um, possible um, perceptual situation. Uh, but then, right, when you but couldn't, couldn't the optimal also be like a uh, um, like a sphere? So like you know, certain points could end up being within this optimal range. Uh, yeah, so I think once you... Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I was going to say that I think once you start introducing um, multiple different um, dimensions to to the the discussion. Um, so if you have, for example, color perception and illumination at the same time, you would probably have um, some sort of uh, surface rather than a point. Um, so you would have, um, like, depending on, like, um, uh, certain colors are easier to see uh, in the dark than others, right? Um, and that's why we have, like, high visibility clothing that runners wear and stuff like that. Um, so that, um, uh okay so there would be this um sort of a color surface or or a color slash illumination surface so you'd have um a, a surface of of points along the optimal um uh range of for um for optimal human visual perception um in relation to both color and illumination at the same time, it, it would form a, a two-dimensional uh, surface, I would think, or, or possibly even more dimensions because color uh, in itself has multiple dimensions. Um, but uh, yeah, so once you start introducing more than one um, uh, sensory modality, then you, you start having um, a multi-dimensional uh, medium. All right, something to think about. Uh, Ali, you had a, another um, question or, or comment as well. Uh, I, I just like uh, uh, what's talk to to ask question about like I mean maybe by reading further like I can figure out by myself the thing is that but the uh, transduction regarding transduction yeah as you said that definitely like uh, I mean related to crystallization. But at least, like uh, in this part, the uh, transduction with some kind of a process, like um, how do I set up? It's a kind of like a, um, I mean, repeating, repetitive, but the uh, process of adaptation, like 
I I am just wondering, like in the middle of the the part, like uh, the uh, it says like a transaction is not the the kind of synthesis. Like I mean, we can't we can't um, manifest the thing um, as a kind of uh the version. Like in terms of like a color, uh, for example, like if we get the uh the visual stimulus. From outside, like a yellow and then blue, and then, but it should not be the only like a, the green. Like it could be different according to the potential of an individual, like a being, whatever. Maybe I might be wrong, but I'm not sure. But here, what I'm thinking is that, um, construction is like a to try try to like a, describe like a, the process of the uh, taking on. Uh, external stimuli and how it is adapted in the inside, like in the milieu, uh, the milieu, 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 milieu. Like yeah. So kind of like the process of like uh, the neutralizing the polarity of the sensory uh, stimuli, whatever. Right. Yeah, I think that's um, an interesting suggestion. Um... I think, though, that Simondon would not want to describe sensation as um, something like an adaptation or, or a neutralization mm. along those lines. Um, I think he would, he would say that um, it's only in, in action that you have something like um, um, uh, an attempt to resolve the problems of, of uh, sensory experience or sensory um, reality through um, eliminating these, uh, um, I guess, negative affects. Uh, so there's, um, in, in, in sensation itself, there's, um, there's no, um, there's no like uh, attempt towards um, eliminating or neutralizing uh, the, uh, the sensations. It's only in action that you, you have um, this orientation away from the, the negative affect. Uh, yeah, maybe like um, I, I might uh, utilize like a, a little bit like, a, I mean, we misused like some terms, but the, the, the focus I wanted to emphasize like uh, the, the part like a sensation is that through with the living being adjusted this this insertion into a transductive domain into a domain that includes transductive reality the polarity of a gradient something like that so uh yep 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 uh right. maybe answer yeah yep yep so i uh, let, let me just think twice like later like by reading further i i would like um, make myself um, clearer Right. Yeah. I think what your, your last comment, I think was right though. I think, um, yeah. So in, in sensation, the, the individual, um, orients themselves with respect to this, uh, transductive reality that is sensation. Um, and, and so, um, I guess we could call that a kind of adaptation. Um, um, but I think, I think the term adaptation suggests something like a uh, um, accommodation or or um, 
some sort of um, elimination of of difference or something like that, which I think Simon Don would not want to um, bring into the picture. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think talking about insertion or in, uh, um, insertion into a, a, a transductive reality, I think is probably a better way of, of expressing it. Okay, thank you. Uh, okay, so let's go on to the next bit. Uh, let's see, where are we? I think I've gone too far ahead. Um, yeah, so we're on 288. Uh, so I'll read the next page or so. Comparable to the structures of veritable sensation, affectivity contains structures involved in tropistic unity. Affection relates to a subjective transductive reality belonging to the subject in the same way that sensation relates to an objective transductive reality. There are modes of the living being that are not modes of the world and that develop according to their own dimensions without implying a causal reference to this world and without directly organizing according to the dimensions of a gradient, i.e. without being part of sensation. An interoceptive sensation is often treated as a type of reality that does not consist in sensations and that in reality consists in affectivity. Affections constitute an orientation of a part of the living being with respect to itself. They bring about a polarization of a, of a particular moment of life relative to other moments. They make the being coincide with itself through time, but not with the totality of itself and the totality of its states. An affective state is one that has a unity of integration into life. It is a temporal unity, uh, sorry, it is a temporal unity uh, as part of a whole according to what could be called the gradient of becoming. The pain of hunger is not just what is felt and what reverberates within the being. It is also and above all the way hunger as a psychological state endowed with the power of being modified is inserted into the subject's becoming. Affectivity is the self-constitutive integration into temporal structures. Desire, the onset of fatigue, and the intensification of cold are aspects of affectivity. Affectivity is much more than just pleasure and pain. It is a way for the being at an instant to be situated according to a vaster becoming. Affection is the index of becoming, just as sensation is the index of gradients. Each mode, each instant, each action, and each state of the living being are between the world and the living being. This being is polarized in accordance with the world on the one hand and in accordance with becoming on the other. And just as the different dimensions according to which orientation in the world is effectuated do not necessarily coincide together, the different affective aspects constitute insertions into the subsets of the living being's becoming, not into a single becoming. Both an affective problem and a perceptive problem remain. The plurality of tropistic orientations calls for perceptive unification and knowledge of the object, just as the plurality of affective subsets calls for the birth of emotion. Emotion arises when the integration of the current state into a single affective dimension is impossible, just as perception arises when sensations call for incompatible tropisms. Emotion is affective contradiction overcome, just as perception is sensorial contradiction. Moreover, we shouldn't speak of affective contradiction and sensorial contradiction, for sensations and aff affections in themselves are not what are contradictory with respect to other sensations or affections. What are contradictory are the tropistic subsets and the subsets of becoming that compose these sensations and these affections with respect to other sensorial and tropistic subsets. There is no contradiction on the level of sensations, properly speaking, or affections, properly speaking. They can, cannot be apperceived if this encounter of subsets does not take place. 
Sensations and affections are incomplete realities taken outside the subject, the subsets to which they belong in which they operate. The non-coincidence of affections fosters emotion, just as the non-coincidence of sensations fosters perception. Emotion is a discovery of the unity of the living being, just as perception is a discovery of the unity of the world. These are two psychical in individuations that extend the individuation of the living being, completing it, perpetuating it. The interior universe is emotive, just as the exterior universe is perceptive. It shouldn't be said that affection flows from emotion felt facing the object, for emotion is integrative and richer than affection. Affection is like emotion in slow motion, i.e. emotion not yet constituted in its unity and in the capacity to become the master of its own development. Emotion is characterized by the fact that it is like an insular temporal unity with its own structure. It drives the living being, gives it a direction, polarizes it, takes up its affectivity and unifies it. Emotion unfolds, whereas affectivity is merely felt as the, the belonging of the current state to one of the modalities of the living being's becoming. Emotion responds to a being's calling into question that is more complete and more radical than affection. It tends to take time for this calling into question. It presents itself as a totality and possesses a certain internal resonance that allows it to perpetuate itself, to sustain itself and to prolong itself. It imposes itself as a self-maintained state whereas affection does not have an, any active consistency and allows itself to be penetrated and to be driven off by another affection. There is a certain closure of emotion, whereas there is no closure of affection. Affection returns, presents itself again, but does not resist. Emotion is totalitarian, just as much as perception, which, after having discovered forms, perpetuates them and imposes them as a system that acts as its own support. There is a tendency of the being to persevere in its being on the level of perception and on the level of emotion, but not on the level of sensation or affection. Sensation and affection are realities that befall the individual, individuated living being without assuming a new individuation. These states are not self-sustained. They are not determined in themselves by a self-conditioning. On the contrary, perception and emotion are metastable. A perception clings to the present, resists other possible perceptions, and is exclusive. An emotion also clings to the present and resists other possible emotions. The disruption of this metastable equilibrium is what allows for one perception to replace another. One emotion only comes after another emotion due to a sort of internal break. Sorry, I, got, I read uh, more than a page because there is no uh, good stopping point. Um, but um, yeah, this is one of our famous multi-page paragraphs. Um, so he starts here by, by um, criticizing the idea of um, uh, affection as, um, as consisting in uh, interior sensation. So the idea is that um, affective states would just be perception of states uh, internal to the, uh, to the individual. Um, and, and he suggests that this, uh, this is a, um, an inadequate um, uh, grasp of affectivity because it doesn't um, it doesn't account for the way that affectivity uh, or affection um, has this um, temporal unification when it when it uh, is incorporated into emotion. Um, so there is affectivity has. Um, um, is, is integrated into the what he calls here the unity of a life. Um, so um, a living being's uh, 
life history or, or biography um, is made up of a series of affective states. Um, and, and so there's this um, unity from one state to the next or continuity from one state to the next. Um, and um, regarding, regarding uh, uh, an affective state as uh, purely uh, interoceptive would, would not um, account for this uh, continuity across time in the same way. Uh, yeah, and so Angus has pointed out this is not a, a total unity. It's, um, yeah, so we have this um, sort of continuity. Um, continuity might be a better word than unity. So there's a, um, a continuity of affective states um, um, across, uh, across time, uh, but it's only in emotion that you have uh, an integration um, so that, um, so he, <clears throat> in um, the next page here, he, he contrasts the way that uh, affective states um, sort of succeed one another without any resistance. Um, so you can have, uh, um, you know, happiness or, or, or um, well, actually, I was, I was going to say you could have happiness or sadness, but I think he would classify those as emotions rather than uh, affective states. Um, but you can have states of um, of affect of um, positive or negative affect that sort of succeed one another without um, without necessarily having any sort of resistance. Whereas an emotional state, in the proper sense, is something that um, uh, is is uh, has this resistance or this um, tendency to persist. So you, if you're in a certain emotional state, you you'll tend to continue to be in that state. Um, and uh, even if, like, I don't know, if you're in a good mood one day, um, you'll tend to interpret the different things that happen in, in a positive sense. And so you'll, you'll tend to continue to be in a good mood. Whereas if you're in a, a bad mood one day, then everything that happens seems as if it's, you know, some sort of attack on you or whatever. Um, and you, uh, you interpret everything negatively. And then so you'll tend to, um, you tend to, Continue to be in a, a bad mood, um, so you you um, uh, emotional states have this uh, tendency to persist or to continue through time in a way that um, affective states don't. Uh, it seems like he's using emotion in the tech, like his technical sense again, um, as being like kind of the sense of action in the collective only. Uh, is that right? Yeah, so he's he's um, he's here using emotion in the specific sense in which it's contrasted with affectivity and in which it's always related to the collective. Um, so it, it's um, uh, so emotion is um, the action, um, the side of action uh, through which the the individual. Um, um, grasps it. So action is always collective, um, but it has this uh, individual side to it, and, and that's emotion. Um, and so we, we, only, um, we only have emotion through the collective, but it, it's, uh, emotion is the, sort of the individual side of that collective action. And I think we can sort of make sense of this, um, uh, this insertion into the collective uh, with respect to emotion, um, 
in in relation to the way that we have um uh you know linguistic terminology for different emotions so we can we can express um our emotional state in a way that someone else can understand uh and you can you can um you can express uh an emotional state even a very subtle and and particular one in linguistic terms um and and someone else can can grasp what you're talking about so there's this sort of collective um uh meaning to to emotional states in a way that um affective states uh don't necessarily have so um uh affective states are are sort of like the precursors to these emotional states that you can describe in linguistic terms uh yeah and so a question from alyosha uh are affective states more immediate and and localized sensation um um yeah so i think affective states are more immediate in the sense that um they uh they require less um uh i guess cognitive development or or psychic development um so you would start out as an infant having affective states of you know distress or happiness or um uh whatever sort of set of states an infant has um that that wouldn't necessarily be integrated and then there's a process of integration of those states where um at a certain stage of development the the child is capable of recognizing you know i'm angry or i'm happy or i'm sad or whatever um and so they 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 integrate those affective states into an emotion that is um expressible in um in collective terms um uh and yeah so how does this uh link up with uh sensation yeah so he he distinguishes between sensation and affect so these are sort of two parallel series um so both sensation and affect are structured in in um in terms of this uh polarization uh, uh, this uh, orientation towards more and less um but they are distinct uh from each other so it's only um it's only in the collective that you um that perception is it's only in in action that you have this um unification of the the series that begins with sensation and then the series that begins with affection oh whenever whenever i read um read like the Deleuze, like he also used the uses like affect um particularly i remember like the uh when he talks about like a movie dick kind of like the how he used the word um like a to uh explain like the movie dick and then the what the in the particular like meaning flaccid meaning so it's kind of a confusing and then like a tricky uh, concept to understand and then here uh kind of like based on like uh, the previous talk about transductive reality um compared to um emotions like affectivity has more than more than simple kind of emotion so it's kind of a mingling a mingled some kind of uh emotions like because like it has to do with, like the process transduction so some kind of from the um the milieu like uh when it goes through the the, the process of transduction it can 
uh, have a little bit different kind of like a meaning of more than a simple emotion. So here, effectively, it's like could be all different according to all different kind of pre-potentiality, pre-individuality, because it did process individuation as well. Am I right or or am I wrong? Um, no, I think that's right. I think um, yeah. So there's um, um, in the same way that you have the sensation is is the insertion into this transductive reality. Um, um, likewise, you have. Uh, affection as uh, an insertion into a different transductive reality so that there's um, uh, a series or a um, dimension of, of, of each of the um, affective uh, uh, dyads um, so that uh, it's only in emotion that you have this integration of these multiple um, affective dyads into a, a coherent um, a coherent space in which the different emotional states find their their place. Um, yeah, so I think I think that's right. Uh, thank you. Okay, one quick um, comment that uh, there is. It seems like there's a lot of uh, slippage in the uh, as you pointed out the, the linguistic accounts of these thresholds or these integrations uh, so it makes it difficult to grasp exactly the um, the 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 bricolage or the tertiary aspects of of how he pieces this stuff together or uh, sequences or or how it uh, integrates into relates um, so, yeah, I, I feel like what he's pointing out here, though, which he um, summarizes well, though, but he doesn't state it in the last reading, is how the emotion seems to depend upon um, uh, the experience of another. So uh, outside of the individual themselves, they have to be sort of in a dyadic, there has to be a relational aspect to the um, the true experience of the trans individuation of emotion, and that it seems that pretty much everything else would be an effectual um, stasis, and that that a higher level of emotional experience would involve um, the individual, and this is a problem, especially if um, there isn't a lot of collective experience for the individual, there can be a slippage between their, um, I, I feel like it speaks to me personally, because I noticed that I could have a lot of affects in, um, in my action. And there could be an underlying emotion. And that could be flipped as well which he points out later on at, towards the end in the, in the matrix or the 
the uh, um, the kind of uh, reversal or the intersection, the transversal, the the intersection that happens uh, with emotion and perception. Um, anyway, I lost my my point clearly. The, the clarity to my point at the end there, but I feel again, the emotions evolves another individual. Um, the affectivity can kind of masks it, mask itself, but it's always kind of one derivation below the emotion. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, um, I think when we talk about the collective nature of emotion, we should also keep in mind that um, this doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be like in the same room as another person in order to feel an emotion or something like that. Um, so there are um, um, there are certain aspects of our psyche which which are collective in the sense that um, it's only because we're raised in a in a group of human beings um, that we have this certain emotional emotional state or this emotional capacity um, uh, and so i think um, thinking of this in terms of of language i think is helpful because of course we only ever learn a language uh, in a, a collective um, and and so we um, insofar as our emotional states are uh, structured in some sense by our linguistic understanding of those states um, so that we recognize a certain state as being sadness or happiness or anger or whatever. Um, uh, that, that in itself is a collective aspect of, uh, of emotions. It's a, a way in which our emotional life is inserted into the collective. Um, but then there's also there are also effects where um, um, you can like for example if you um, if you listen to an album at home you might have a certain uh, emotional response to it but then if you uh, see the the musicians live you might have a completely different um, response or or a much more powerful response um, because you're part of this collective. Uh, listening to it rather than just listening to it on your own um, uh, or the same thing like you know going to a uh, going to a play or a sporting event or whatever any any situation where you're part of a group or a collective that is uh, involved in some sort of um, joint uh, uh, emotional response I think you have a much more powerful emotional response than you do when you're on your own um, so I think th I think that's another um, uh, another aspect to the um, collective um, nature of emotion for for Simon Dong. That that's kind of important point I think like a collective point. So that's kind of like a distinctive uh, spot uh, between just emotions and then affectivity, because affectivity seems to be generated from um emotion plus alpha like something 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 more than one emotion like and then that is derived from 
like interaction with Milia and then lots of process of individuation, I guess. Um, right or wrong? Uh, no? Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't exactly say that um affectivity is emotion plus something else. Um I think Oh no no not uh, sorry, it's not exactly plus sorry, it's not kind of like, ah, it's always a problem of like a choosing word. So it's not uh, I mean like a Ooh, mathematically pluses alpha something like that. So you see here, like how do I say it? It it processes like the process of transduction. So by doing that, like the emotions, it's not stays as just emotion. It process it it goes through some other processes, like a, which is like a um, manifested here transductive reality. What about that? Are it better or not? Yeah, I think that's maybe a better way of putting it. Um... So that, like, in in terms of uh, in ontogenetic terms, um, the uh, affectivity is more fundamental or more basic than emotion. Um, so we we see this in the development of of children, um, in that they they you know from from birth they're they're capable of feeling you know pain and pleasure or or comfort and discomfort and and sort of basic affective states like that um but it's only as they develop and mature and start to learn um words for for emotions and and uh that they they're able to actually recognize um their own feelings and their own uh emotions and then uh and and so the emotions are are a more sophisticated um mental function than than affectivity is um but that doesn't mean that they're sort of um uh better in, in any way or something like that um so there there's uh affectivity you might take it to be a more um uh a more immediate insertion into this transductive reality um so that you you have a, a sort of um uh immediate um cognition of affective states in a way that you don't have with emotional states. So there, there's, um, there's, uh, I, I don't know, a, a sort of value, I guess, to affective states that emotional states don't have. Okay. Thank you. Right. Um, okay, so where are we? I think we can continue to the next bit. Um, this was this long sentence. Yeah, so we're at, there is a relaxation from one emotion to another uh, on page 290. Uh, if someone else would like to uh, read a page or so. Uh, I can read. There is a relaxation from one emotion to another. In emotion, what disorganizes the living being is not emotion itself, since emotion is the organization of affections. What disorganizes it is the passage from one emotion to another. However, it could be said that perception also brings about a disorganization. But this disorganization is less appreciable since it is merely a rupture between two successive perceptive organizations relative to the world. Since the disorganization that exists between two emotions involves the living being, it is more appreciable than the one that separates two perceptions. Nevertheless, perception and emotion are still activities that correspond to a transitory mode of activity. Due to their plurality, perception and emotion require a higher integration, an integration that the being cannot effectuate with its pure constituted individuality. 
in the perceptive contradiction and the emotional ruptures, the being experiences its limited nature facing the world through perception and becoming through emotion. Perception imprisons the being in a point of view, just as emotion imprisons it in an attitude. Points of view and attitudes are mutually exclusive. To unlock the possibility for the formation of a network of key points that integrates all possible points of view, and for the formation of a general structure of the manner of being that integrates all possible emotions, a new individuation must occur that includes the rapport to the world and the rapport of the living being to other living beings. Emotions must go toward the perceptive points of view, and the perceptive points of view must go toward emotions. The mediation between perceptions and emotions is conditioned by the domain of the collective, i.e. the trans-individual. For an individuated being, the collective is the mixed and stable kernel within which emotions are perceptive points of view and within which points of view are possible emotions. The unity of the modification of the living being and the modification of the world depends on the collective, which brings about a convertibility of the orientation relative to the world into an integration into vital time. The collective is the stable spatio-temporal. It is a milieu of exchange, the principle of conversion between these two sides of the being's activity, perception and emotion. By itself, the living being could not go beyond perception and emotion, i.e. perceptive plurality and emotive plurality. Right, so this is a, a sort of difficult passage, um, or it's, it's pretty abstract, um, but I think the way we can try to make sense of this is that, um, so in perception and in emotion, um, you in each case have this um, limitation or this uh, structuration into, into points in a network. Um, so um, you, you have, um, um, yeah, so I don't think emotive plurality is exactly to be identified with affect. Um, um, I think what he's referring to here is the way that uh, in emotion, um, you have uh, you have something like um, multiple attitudes, um, so that uh, your experience of I don't know, um, say a, a, a movie or or something like that. Your experience of a movie is um, is always colored by this um, attitude that you take towards it, um, and. Uh, you can only ever experience that movie by um, through a, a particular attitude. And so you might have a completely different experience of the movie if you're watching it with a certain emotional state, as opposed to if you're in a different emotional state, you might have a different experience of the movie. Um, and, and so I think um, um, this sort of limited character of uh of the emotional um uh attitude and the perceptual states um are are um are is what he's um 
pointing towards here is, is so um, you can only ever perceive something um, from one point of view uh, um, or one uh, sort of perceptual region, uh, and then you can ever, you can only ever experience something from a particular emotional attitude, um, and uh, each of those points of view and each of those attitudes uh, excludes the others, so that you you only have this limited perspective on whatever um, aspect of reality you're you're considering. Uh, so there's um, this limitation sort of points towards uh, a further integration in which you would have uh, not just this limited point of view or this limited attitude towards something, but you would have um, this um, mediation between different um, um, different points of view and different attitudes. Uh, and, and so it's only in the collective that you can have this um, um, this integration of perception and emotion. Um, uh, so perception and emotion uh, are themselves uh, something that that appear in the collective, but they're um, sort of the individual um, grasp of the collective or, or their individual side of the collective, whereas it's only through the collective that you can actually integrate those two and and solve the problems of emotion and and of uh and of um perception uh through action actually that that's kind of i just like a, thought a little bit like a, a while ago like um at the end of the effectivity is like not just solely like formed the inside it's a kind of like a, a formulated through the uh actually it there is a particular word here trans individuality and then plus like perception it's right understand the perception has to do with like uh external reality which is like when we perceive something we need the objects and then um the perceived based on also sensory motors and then we can get some kind of visual stimuli or audio or audio audio or smell or every kind of a sensory uh, you know, organs like uh, stimulate like perception of the objects, and that, which exactly means like um, uh, kind of like you know, kind of interaction with the, the um external reality, and then that may be could be different from like what's going on inside. Uh, I would call it like the emotional emotions or activity, but at the end of the day, all are integrated. And then, and then we can get some form of, of course, that's kind of like always like uh, flat, flu, fluidity, like it, it would be all changeable. But any, anyways, like at the end of the day, the one, one's effectivity is process individuation. Like it's kind of like at the end of the day, like the, the inter, I mean, reciprocal uh, reaction. I mean, it's broke a process with uh, the outside and inside all together collectively. Yeah, so he he definitely um, he definitely describes the um, the line that goes from affectivity to emotion as being the subjective side or the inter internal side. Um, 
and then the line that goes from sensation to perception as being the objective side or or the external side um uh and then the idea is that we want to have some sort of integration of the two so that we're not um we're not confined to one limited um um one limited um uh domain uh, of perception or one limited domain of emotion um, um so yeah so i think that's right um the internality of uh of emotion and and yeah so angus has pointed out this is a a clear difference from heidegger um yeah so for for heidegger there's this idea of um mood as as having this um uh sort of external significance so that um you you sort of enter into a mood rather than having uh, moods appear within you um and uh a mood is like a, a way for the world to be given um um whereas for simon don here um he's um maybe more traditional in thinking of um affect and emotion as constituting an interiority. Uh, one thing that threw me off when I was first reading this, uh, the last part of the section is that he seems to be using emotion in a slightly different, or in a different sense than the way he's been using it in recent sections, because it seems like he's been pretty clear that, um, I think in like section four, for instance, that emotion is only in the collective and is the, you know, um, not something that the individual can achieve on its own, which was kind of the point of the anxiety section. But here it seems like the individual can have emotion, but in order to unify perception and emotion, you have to have the collective. So I assume uh, it just seems like he's using emotion in a, in a different sense here. It's not the same emotion that we encountered in section four. Yeah, I think, um, so it may be um, um, sort of a difference of emphasis more than a, a, a different use of the term here. But um, so when he talked about emotion as being um, collective, he, um, he or, or as having to do with the collective and, and as something that the individual is not capable of um, achieving on their own, um, he, he's, he mentions, um, I forget exactly where, but he, he mentions the idea that um, emotion is the collective uh, grasped from the side of the individual. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's only, um, so it's collective, but it's collective within the individual or from the side of the individual, um, if that makes sense. Um, so that, um, um, there's a, a sort of um, relative aspect to the collective collective nature of uh, of emotion, and it's only uh, it's only sort of relatively collective. Um, and then, so here in this last little bit, um, he's he's talking about um, trying to go beyond that relative. Um, that relative um, uh, incorporation into the collective to uh, to um, 
uh, I guess, an absolute incorporation into the collective. So it would be one in which you don't have this um, um, uh, this just a, <clears throat> a sort of individual side of the collective, but the collective as such. Um, and and so that would be something that um, goes beyond the individual, not just um, not just insofar as the individual is not capable of of performing or achieving this on its own, but it would be something that requires multiple individuals uh, to undergo a, a new process of individuation. But yeah, I, I think you're right that there is a, a certain shift um, uh, from earlier passages about emotion to this last bit here. Okay, so we're um, about at time and we reached the end of this section and of the chapter. Um, so I think this, would be, this is a good place to, to stop. Um, so we'll pick up from 291 next time and we'll go on, um, yeah, we'll go on to the next chapter and then we'll see that he, um, he introduces even further distinctions in, in terms of individuation and individualization as two different, um, uh, sort of, uh, degrees or, um, um, two different stages of, uh, of the individuation process so it'll get even more complicated next time yeah thank you everyone for joining in and i hope to see you next week